Welcome to Viva La Volva, the podcast that explores and teaches about the goodness of the vulva. Here is your host, Dr. Kara Quant, an internal medicine doctor and advocate for female sexual health. Hello, and welcome to the Viva La Volva podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kara Quant. And I would like to thank you for joining us today on this podcast episode. I have a special guest on the episode today. Her name is Eurydice, and I will call her Yuri throughout this discussion. But we actually collaborated a couple of months ago on her podcast, Speak Sex. She's also an artist, and you can see the art. If you guys are watching the YouTube video, you can see the art that she has in the background that she's done herself. She's also authored three books, and so she's just an overall awesome person and is passionate about empowering sexuality, empowering women's sexuality. So we are definitely on the same wavelength, and I thank you for joining us today on this uh, episode. No, thank you for having me, Kara, and thank you for what you're doing. You know, I'm great fan, and I think that, you know, being willing to, like, give you free time to share knowledge, you know, with everyone out there is so valuable. So I appreciate, you know, with all of my heart, and, you know, I'm happy to be here. Yes. I mean, it's such an important discussion, you know, like I remember growing up and like being afraid to talk about down there, quote unquote, down there to talk about my vagina and vulva and like the changes that were going on in a period. And so I feel like it's like, there's no shame in it there. It's a normal, natural process. Masturbation is normal. You know, like there's so many things that are taboo or just disempowered within our society. And I'm like, it doesn't need to be the case. Like we can have a open and honest dialogue about it and really educate people, the men and yeah. women or and, and everyone in between. Yeah. yeah. And and I feel that unfortunately, you know, our education is kind of like, you know, a little bit, you know, gatekeeped. You know, so it's the you know the privileged few get to the universities, especially the top universities, and get like a wider education. And then you know the people who who are not uh, you know able to participate in that, you know, get their education from like whatever you know reality TV, which perpetuates the stereotypes, you know, and the cliches and yeah. the the hierarchy, you know, this kind of like what we, we feminists call the patriarchy, you know, the, the domination uh, of the male of the species over the female, which is kind of like the culture we came out of, you know, the culture we were trained in, but it like no longer really has any meaning. It feels to me like it's, it's collapsed except for like the optics, you know, like all the different um, systems and names are still in place, but like their essence is gone, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's like way obsolete, like we've outgrown it. It's exhausted itself, yeah. you know. So part of this conversation is is helping, uh, you know, women understand that, you know, we we have the power and we actually also 
you know, in this country at least, have the freedom, you know, to be whole beings again and not to need to get approval or identity through a, a relationship with, you know, a male. Yeah. And I feel that, you know, the original kind of like reason for this um, was because women had this extra gift, right? So, you know, in the beginning of time, let's say, or at least in the beginning of, you know, patriarchal time, you know, women had the gift of birth, of procreation, you know, of the of the fruits of the vulva, which are the most important, right, you know, creative product of the species. That's how we go on existing. Yeah. Um, and also Everyone the most came out of the vulva. Right. Yeah. And it's also the most fulfilling, like what's more fulfilling than giving birth, you know, those feelings, the emotions, the hormonal, like high. So I feel that, you know, the male kind of like wanted to control, and it makes sense to me, you know, if I had this need to control the line, you know, the lineage, otherwise the male of the species would be kind of like completely useless or powerless, right? So for that reason, you know, a whole system of hierarchies was set up so that, you know, women who were not as strong as the men, you know, would be kind of like owned in a way, you know, by some men who then could make sure that the children are his. So that's how like this whole thing, you know, was set up. And once that hierarchy came up, you know, then all kinds of other systems, you know, followed, like including, you know, slavery, they were all systems that were based on that, you know, first kind of like control of one type of human being over another type of human being. And here we are, it's like the third millennium. And, you know, we have like DNA paternity tests and we have like, you know, sperm banks and we have in vitro widespread and we have like surrogate moms and we have more than half marriages ending in divorces, right? We have like serial marriage, people marrying over and over, you know, we have like, you know, two-day marriages, instant divorce. It's just like, you know, (laughs) it's lost its meaning and there's no longer like a need for it, Mm. right? Uh, I mean, same-sex marriage has been, you know, amazing that way because like we started talking about marriage equality. And so it's just about kind of like rearranging the way we think, but, you know, about normal, you know? There's no new normal. I mean, well... yeah, like normal is nothing. Like, what, what, yeah, what exactly? Right, exactly. Is yeah, normal yeah. because there's so many, there's so much diversity that is out there. There's exactly. So, yeah, there's so much yeah. diversity. Yeah. And to me, like, that's the beauty of America. You know, like, norm is a statistical term. So what the majority of people believed was, the, you know, appropriate became, you know, assumed to be the norm. But, like, in America, because we're so diverse... And, you know, multicultural and a place of like constant movement and, you know, immigration and change, those, that majority is like tiny, you know, so it's very, it makes it very hard to hold on to some kind of like norm, right? Which is liberating, you know, so it's really kind of like, you know, for me, you know, it's just about taking a moment every day to kind of like, you know, think before we react and think about who we really are 
and what our, you know, knee-jerk fears are that were, you know, fed to us by our, you know, parents or teachers who lived in a different century, you know, and had grown up in different conditions, you know. And then, you know, choose what may be a little harder, but also freeing, you know, but but also more authentic. So, yeah, kind of like being able to speak about sex and sexuality in open, you know, um, which used to be associated with like, you know, shame and discomfort is one of those practices, you know. Yeah. It's not the only one, but it's definitely kind of a very simple way Yeah. to... To like, you know, take off the, the layers of like, you know, things that you didn't choose that were kind of like forced on you in your youth yeah. or early childhood from the outside. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever read Come As You Are. Um, yeah. Yes. Which is a book by Emily. See, I'm never really good at authors' names, but Nagoski. Yeah. I think that's her last name. Yeah. But she talks about a garden, you know, and we all have theoretical gardens where it's it's about sexuality. And we have, we've, over time, throughout our lives, we've planted different things within this garden. And at some point in your life, or at this point now in your life, you can decide what you have, what you keep in your garden, and what you decide to take out of your garden because it no longer serves you. And so I thought that that was such a great a great thing to share with people is that we, we can make it however we want, especially as women and as vulva owners, we can decide what we keep in our garden and what we take out, like what no longer serves us. And the discussion around sex and like asking for pleasure and speaking up for what we want and being authentic are all things that I would like to put in my garden. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I want that. (laughs) The old question of like, what is a weed? You know, and you know, really a weed is what you think is what you don't want. (laughs) That's what you pull out. (laughs) That's what you pull out. That's what you take out. Yeah. Yeah. By natural pesticide or natural things. Um, But yeah, that's what we can decide to take that out. For sure. So I wanted to get into like what got you started in having these discussions about sex. Like what, you know, is there like a a story, something um, that happened in your past that got you into having these discussions Mm. and starting the podcast? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm naturally, I was kind of born creative. I'm a triple Pisces. So in, you know, I, yeah. So given that, you know, I, I feel that my writing, my, you know, publishing, my work as a journalist, my teaching, my art, my stitching, my painting, uh, the podcast are all part of my overall art practice. And I, you know, don't believe in like, those strict categories, I feel that part of the problem of what I call the patriarchy is that, you know, it likes to divide things and, you know, pose us in binary differences. And that's a basic example. You know, I do all of these things, but when someone asks me, what are you? I can't come up with one word because they imagine one tiny thing, right? So, you know, it's like the old question of like, who am I first? Am I a mother? 
if I say I'm a mother, that doesn't give me enough value. So I have to put myself in some prefab category where I'll get like respect, you know, um, in the, in the world, in the you know what I call the men's world. But my story is that I'm, you know, my my mom, my grandma, they were all breeders. They um, married super young, the men that their fathers chose, you know, and had babies. And so I was my mom's first baby. She was newly married. She didn't know anything about, you know, sex or she didn't know her husband or so. so my first memories are like my mom always crying when my dad was out of the house mm-hmm. <laughs> and she couldn't handle me, didn't know anything, you know, so she was kind of like unconsciously abusive I was unwanted, you know, because I was kind of like the symbol of her bondage, you know. She wanted to go back home and be with her mommy, you know. She was like 18. (laughs) And she wanted to like be, you know, raising the kid or washing clothes, cleaning the house or like it was just too much. So I, I witnessed that and I, you know, to kind of escape my world, I taught myself how to read like my little children's books that they had got me. You know, I broke my leg and I was in bed for like six months. And so I, I noticed that when I became really fluent with words, I got a lot of attention. Like my dad suddenly paid attention to me and then he would bring other people, you know, and kind of like show me off because I had like memorized things, you know, and I could speak, you know, the language of books. So I felt empowered. And... um it took me, you know, my dad like worked for the Hunda at the time. He would take me to like recite Homer, you know, the Odyssey in front of like the minister or something. It took me quite a, a while to realize that that was not uh, me, you know, that that was like a male world that I was just like kind of, you know, uh, taking on as my own. Yeah. You see what I mean? So... There were like two formative formative realizations. Um, one was that when I was like in maybe seven, six, six, no, fifth grade, fifth grade, my teacher told me the meaning of the word lesbian and why it was so bad. And I was born on the island of Lesbos, but then we moved to Athens. You know, both my parents were born on the island of Lesbos, so they were all lesbians. We moved to Athens. I knew that I shouldn't say that I'm a lesbian, but I didn't know why. But I felt like it's I should be ashamed. And then when my teacher explained it to me, I felt like doomed, you know, damned. Like, you know, I'm born this way. Like, I'm like, where I'm, you are from. Yeah, yeah. right. It didn't even yeah. mean, and you know, like I had, you know, I was a child. I didn't have a sexuality at all. But the <laughs> word, because of the ancient poet who wrote about loving women, you know, meant a homosexual woman, and of but it wasn't even, you know, homosexual. It was kind of a demeaning, yeah. right? So that was like one of the awarenesses that, you know, the language like, you know, doesn't represent me. And, and I was like kind of like hating, you know, my body. And then um, when I began to ha- to enter puberty and I started to masturbate, you know, once again, I felt like I'm going to hell. This is like the gravest secret and it's yeah. the most ho- horrific, you know, like how could they be such a deviant? <laughs> I had no name for it. You know, I had no words for like the vagina or the clitoris or anything. There was nothing, you know, I just wished I could be a boy and fit. 
And uh, then, you know, like when I started uh, hanging out with potential boyfriends, you know, my dad suddenly became very strict and um, kind of turned on me. And all of his support for my like intelligence um, became extreme oppression because he, you know, because I was like making choices that were not his and I wasn't like, uh, you know, repeating his narrative. And I wanted to hang out with like uh, other, you know, males, like boys my age. I mean, I didn't do, you know, I clearly um, in that world, which was very paternalistic and old world in Greece, you know, I was completely, you know, naive. So at the age of 15, I basically ran away and went from the Greek island I was there at to um, Los Angeles. It was pretty amazing. It was like I'd landed on another planet. I had got a passport because I have like a cousin in in New York and she was getting married that summer and I was going to go to the wedding with my dad and then he couldn't afford it or something. So he went alone to the wedding. So I had got a passport and, you know, I saved my like lunch allowance. Like I didn't buy lunch for (laughs) like a year and a half at school. Yeah. Got a ticket, got on TWA, didn't tell my parents and like, arrived in Los Angeles. It was amazing. So, and I, I'm, you know, I, I met a lady who, at the library, like literally within a day, who in, in this like, you know, great generosity of, of Americans, um, you know, said, oh, I love Greece. I've been there many times. I like the Greek dance. You can stay with me until you figure it out. What? Uh, and and <laughs> I, I, and I, yeah, and then it was, the I stayed. I just yeah. stayed for like a year. Wow. I always believe the universe is, is on our side. You know, like if you just leap and that was your leap from Greece oh my to God. LA yeah. and you yeah. were completely supported. I was so supported and wow. so protected, you know, looking back, because of course at 15, especially when you live in such a cloister, you don't know the dangers. I, you know, I had no idea like how bad it could be. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to Redondo Union High School. She enrolled me because she lived in uh, near, near there Yeah. and uh, graduated a year later. But I remember like within two weeks of having landed, I was uh, at Rocky Horror Picture Show with some of like the students, you know, the high school students. Yeah. And and I just cannot tell you the the culture shock, the 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 change, you know, of, like watching <laughs> Rocky and and watching the audience react and play act it, and you know, I mean, for me, I had landed like in paradise, but also, you know, coming from another culture, it helped me understand that. All of these things we take for granted are just made up by other humans yeah. like us. Yeah. You know, the words we speak, the meaning we give them, the things that we consider, you know, right and wrong. Uh, we just made them up. It was just not, it wasn't us, it was somebody else, you yeah. know. So we have that ability to kind of like rewrite our narrative. It's not like set in stone. It, it, it you know, allowed me to kind of like see you know, all those options. And it also allowed me to understand like like the split that I was living between my mind and my body because I was like so focused on my mind. It it was what I was um, getting approval for, right? That I had, 
no, like I wished I didn't have a body. You know, I didn't want to be, you know, a girl, but it wasn't like even gender dysmorphia, like embodied, you know, it wasn't like I want to have a penis. No, it was just like the the power dynamic in society was such mm-hmm. that, I, you know, I, I just felt that my body and especially my, my vulva, you know, would automatically, you know, devalue me, like make me a less important person, a less respected person, right? Uh-huh. Um, so I just thought I had resisted it for a long time. And when I would get like urges and desires, you know, I would I would try to suppress them because my understanding of interpersonal relations was that if I allowed myself to like fall in love, I would become immediately, I would get like under the control of whoever I loved. Yeah. So it was a complicated process in trying to unravel all that and understand it and then like give my body, you know, the same value as as I, you know, as I did to my mind, which was like trained by the Maya language, you know, and fit perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> it was a long process. Yeah. And so that's basically it's been my work. Like when I was 21, I think I told you when I was 21, I wrote a book called F32 about this split and it was about the vagina. It's a story of a girl and, and her vagina and she gets attacked in the street. Someone cuts out her vagina and then the vagina has like a life of its own and it goes to like talk shows and you know museums <laughs> and no one knows what it is. Um, so it, it no longer has like the judgment and the shame and the like, you know, yeah, because it's on its own. The like down there thing, thing yeah. because it's on its own, mm, right? Yeah, that's kind of cool. So then, well, I feel at like, the was that, like a therapy. Like, did it feel almost right. therapeutic for you to write this book about a like a vulva on its own? It it was so yeah. therapeutic, and also you know, so it it was published, and then it did well. It was translated in many languages, and. So what was even more therapeutic is that I had to read from it. You know, I had to stand there and say the word vagina or cunt or, you know, pussy in front of strangers and and say it, you know, in a positive way. Yeah. And it's not easy. It wasn't easy. You know, I had to kind of like reclaim it again and again, right? But and definitely... even to this day, I think even to this day, because you said that you wrote that book when you were in your 20s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even to this day, I have friends that I've spoken with and they say, you know, like I have a, a product that I'm talking to people about investing in and we're talking about vulvas and vaginas and it really does still to this day, 2020, oh, yeah. shock people and like, you know, make people a little intimidated or embarrassed or, you know, so even the word today affects people. Yeah. And there is stigma and there is, you know, which to me is insane, like with our logic, you know, we that's our power as women. You know, we give birth to the vagina. We feel the urge to even have sex in order to conceive, in order to give birth, you know, through the vagina, right? Yeah. That should be like our, you know, that's like the closest to the divine in a sense that, you know, we have. And yet it's so like devalued in our culture i mean even you know my daughter she's now 20 mm-hmm. i have only one and uh, you know she says and she's a feminist of course i mean she's my daughter you can imagine 
it doesn't matter. You know, I'm her mother. She's like, couldn't you have a different name for your podcast? Does it have to be speak sex? Like, why couldn't it be speak literature or speak art or like, I don't want my friends, I, I can't even, like, you know, I don't want to promote it. My What are my friends going to think with my mom speaking sex? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just so deep. It yeah. runs deep. you got to fight it and fight it and, un, you know, unlearn it. And so that's why we're doing all of this, right? To Actually, change things. A, yeah, and that's a good kind of segue about speaking sex to your children like how like how did you i'm assuming you have but how did you like even start the conversation about sex with your daughter because i feel like that's a huge thing that many parents are considering and they want to do but they're very nervous about it i know my parents were i know my mom was my dad didn't even touch the subject oh yeah (laughs) and my mom gave me a book on it uh, about how to talk with your teenager about sex. And she was like, if you have any questions, let me know. And it was, you know, it was her way of doing it. It was her way of introducing me to it. But I think that there was still some shame in in having that discussion with me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, that's another one of those, like, weird things that I feel the patriarchy came up with, you know. And, I mean, Freud put it in specific terms but it's been there a long time you know but that whole like you know incest incest i don't i don't want to say taboo because of course incest is an act is taboo but like it's so inconceivable like to me that you know the fact that we're so paranoid about it seems crazy you know like you know in all the families I know, and I've met thousands and thousands and thousands of people in my life, like, you know, it's just not done. Like, you know, so, but I feel that that taboo is another one of those things, you know, that like, if we speak to our children, there is like some kind of creepy, you know, feeling or connotation as if we're like sexualizing each other. Yeah. And so part of like what I'm doing with the speak sex is, you know, putting the emphasis on the speak, you know, speaking sex is not the same as having sex. Yeah. It's very different. You know, none of us are, you know, having sex. We're just, you know, and yet it's easier for, there are people for whom it's easier to have speak, to have sex than talk about it. Yeah. You know, which is again, insane. But to get back to your question, I mostly taught my daughter through her friends <laughs> in in the sense that you know she would get a little squeamish and I focused on you know talking to to them when they were in group because then they felt safer so they all received it much better so like that's one uh, yeah. kind of like concrete advice yeah. my home was always full of like girls because uh, I was like you know the cool mom so they all pretty much lived in my house and I would just bring up these topics and everybody else who was not my own daughter, super excited and yeah. had a million questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, you know, I always wanted to, to explain things from the point of view of feminism, you know, of how to kind of like not confuse, uh, you know, being sexual with making your partner happy or, you know, um, 
kind of like serving or service or separate, you know, going out of body and like surviving it or all of those things, right? Yeah. And I did give them, you know, concrete advice, you know, but I, about porn, about, you know, how to speak about it, um, you know, again, you know, kind of like overcoming, breaking the fear of speaking about it. Uh, you know, the fear of like being rejected or judged if you yeah. speak about it and say, you know, I actually like this, you know, which sounds again logical, but one on one, like facing the person you want or w- want to be liked by is still very hard. Yeah. 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 And I think that many women, and I know like for myself in the past, I've wanted permission, you know, like, a, requesting permission to be myself, to be more authentic, to speak up for what I want. And sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes we just have to handle it ourselves and, and have that, that discussion or ask for what we want one-on-one right in front of the person. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, there's so many strong women and, you know, including women of color and, you know, can be really strong in their, uh, relationships in their family dynamics and assertive but then when it comes to like one-on-one with a partner they kind of like let the partner figure it out or or you know be in charge and it's like you know just 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 be you which is like continue to be in charge (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, Yeah, I mean, because our partners cannot read our minds, even though we want them to, but our partners cannot read our minds. So that is, yeah, uh, being assertive is also, I think, being assertive sexually. And I also do believe, and I actually just read something about you being assertive in your sexual life makes you assertive in your actual life like in in other parts of your life you could be more assertive just by being assertive in the bedroom yeah that makes sense that makes sense but you know and also uh, another way to see it is that being assertive speaking you know is a sign of like respect and trust you know if you tell your partner what you like or what you think about or fantasize or what you don't like or what you don't enjoy that he is doing or that he wants to do shows that you respect your partner enough to trust him to accept it well you know to to not like run off or you know be so superficial that that would change the you know the dynamics or the essence of your relationship of your love of your romance you know so to me it's a sign of it's an embrace instead of like uh you know, an attack, you know, it's a different way of of seeing it. But I think that, you know, women need to speak up and, you know, thankfully we've come a long way speaking up about our, you know, abuse or victimhood, but it would be, you know, it's, it's also good to speak up about our joy and our, you know, uh, our desires not only saying no, which is very important, yeah. But once we've managed to, you know, to say no, to understand that we have to consent, then we can also begin to to say yes, you know, from that same place. Yeah, which is very powerful. Yeah, it's it's very powerful, and I know, like for myself, having 
a dialogue in the beginning of a relationship about what I like, about what I don't like, about what my, like, I will not do. And also having it from the other person, what they like, what they don't like, what they'll never do, you know, like what their boundaries are really does set a foundation for a healthy sexual relationship. Yeah. 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 And also, you know, sober, (laughs) which is another issue, you know, because when you have that conversation, you know, when we have, if we have a conversation like that, we tend to be sober. Yeah. And, you know, so often people kind of are not sober when they are having, you know, at the beginning, when they're embarking on a new sexual relationship, because it's embarrassing and it's stressful and, you know, it gives them anxiety and, and then it makes it harder to speak actually and talk like, you know, even if they intended to, if they're not sober. So it's good to kind of like separate the time. You know, you don't need to like say, oh, I, you know, I am crazy about you. I want you. Let's go. Let's go do it. Let's take off our clothes. And then, okay, stop. I will tell you the story of my sex life. <laughs> you know, there is, there is like you can you can find like better ways to incorporate it all in like the the courtship, whatever you want to call it. You know, the early stages of getting to know each other. Yeah, and you know, definitely it's important to watch for how you know the person you are attracted to respond and you know how much uh, attention they pay whether or not they stay with that or kind of like try to change what you've just said uh into you know into their version you know it's uh, it's important to choose people who um have space you know for us you know who have a lot of space for our uh, you know difference for our you know truth yeah to kind of like don't um don't think, okay, that's what she said, but she really means what, like, I want, <laughs> you know. So that's something to be aware of and watch watch for, you know, not just the, all, only what we say, but also how what we say is heard. Yeah. You know. And which I was going to ask you, like, how, uh, actually, I just posted something recently on Instagram about, like, how to have a conversation with your partner around sex. And so I wanted to ask you, like, what is your advice to people that are a little nervous about speaking sex, talking about what they want and desire in a sexual relationship? Um, like how, what, what is some advice that you give others about speaking sex with a partner? Well, I mean, I could go on and on. <laughs> Because, that, you know, there's so many facets to that. It's not something that you want to do once only. It's something that you want to kind of like, you know, bring up uh, a lot often because we change. And when you first meet someone, uh, you probably are going to think of yourself as the person you were with your previous partner. And they are probably thinking that you're going to be their previous partner. So, you know, but we evolve and change all the time. Our sexual tastes change the way like our tastes in food change or colors or decor or, you know, perfume or whatever, you know, we're not kind of like stuck. So I think that 
one of the you know uh, uses of speaking sex is that you know it, it frees us from you know being like stuck and invested in an identity that we got to speak and then that's it because like I, you know I don't want to like change you know my story like I it was already hard enough saying this is what I like and I don't want to say uh, yeah, this maybe is- I like something else more yeah. or I, I don't like that or I don't want that you know now I want you know so I feel like making it clear that you know all of this is a you know a, 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 an experiment that works you know that it's um it's a it's part of life, you know. Everything changes. Everything moves. Yeah, but you know what? So I, I, I have the conversation that. a lot, you know. Yeah. And the more you have the conversation, the less unnerving it is. Yeah, and I think that that is a a good thing to emphasize is that we are always changing, and that our the experiences that we want within sex can change and. What? Yeah, I, I think that that's very important to emphasize because I didn't think of that. I mean, I thought that you know we we have a conversation once, maybe a couple times, and then like that, that is that's it. So it's good to know. Not it's good to know, but it, that's good advice about it's an ever evolving conversation and it's an ever evolving yeah. desire because they can change. Yes, like yeah, you're saying yeah, yeah. And also, you know, our language keeps changes. Like we hear, you know, words that we didn't even think about on our own. You know, language is something that shifts and changes and improves. We're coining words, right? So even if, you you know, you feel like you are a certain way, for example, you know, you don't really like polyamory. It feels like, you know, a little like cheating. But then, you know, like six months later, you read or hear or whatever about ethical monogamy and that sounds better as a term. So you want to look into that, you know, so like you Google that, right? So different terms that are new, you know, one example is like the neo pronouns, you know, uh, people were, were like very taken aback in the beginning. If, if someone would say, you know, I go by they, them, it's like, why are you complicating things? Right. Yeah. But then as it, as it becomes more prevalent or as, different pronouns that are much more confusing, you know, are asked for and, and, and it kind of becomes, you know, part of the culture, you know, people, more people have started thinking, well, you know what, I, I may not, you know, maybe I want to be a he or a she, like maybe I have more multiplicities in me. And that doesn't even mean that like I'm bisexual, but I kind of like, like not being stuck, you know, so people's thinking about themselves sexually changes as they participate you know in life and things that looked that that felt you know frightening or you know degrading if seen from another light are no longer you know that unattractive so we may want to try them you know it's like you know if you think about being like spanked that's just unacceptable but if you think about you know having been abused and holding on to like trauma in your whatever you know let's say you know sexual area and you know using the pain to reclaim that trauma and release it you may want to try it right you may want to cry after so you may think about what is aftercare so it's just kind of like 
everything evolves and changes. And I think that it was unfortunate that we went through a period where, you know, it's part of our sexual liberation. We, uh, we connected our identity to our sexual practices. I feel that that's not wise at all, you know. Our sexual pra- practice is, is private and our, our identity is, you know, public. So, you know, kind of like, you know, coming out, so to speak, you know, is important for some people. But again, you know, for me, like you can come out again and again and again. Like you should, you know, you don't have to, <laughs> you know, say this is what I am and, and then, you know, be stuck with that. Yeah. You know, you could say I am asexual. I am going through a period where I'm kind of like spending time with myself and now with quarantine. That's a you know, it's a good time to do that. Yeah, it's <laughs> a very good time to do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like discovering sex toys or sex tech or just like learning and and thinking about my relationships and you know, and figuring things out and I don't wanna, you know, be sexual for you know for for a while i i just need the reset yeah that doesn't mean you're gonna be asexual for life you know yeah. mm-hmm. so it's the same with like you know bigger bigger choices than, yeah um yeah and you know i was actually gonna ask about labeling because labeling is so prominent in our society and, I, and it kind of helps to put someone in a certain box or in a certain yeah, box in our minds about what they are, who they are, and how they operate, which can also be very, it can be limiting. But I also think that it can be liberating. I remember when I first talked about me being bisexual, or like that is the term that I use now as a, like a shameful thing. But now I'm liberated by using it and I'm okay with it. And, you know, like my family is okay with it. And, you know, like, and it almost doesn't even matter if people are okay with it or not. Like that is who I am. That is how I express myself. And so like, I feel like it can also be a liberating term, you know, to use the pronouns they rather than using he or she, or, you know, to like to, to use whatever terms that you want to, I feel like it can be, it can be limiting, but it also can be liberating. Yeah. 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 I think it's very, I mean, I, I think it's very liberating so long as like we ourselves, you know, don't feel constricted by that, uh, you know. So like, I think being a bisexual is much more uh, inclusive than being a, you know, cis person, you know. That, and, and even if you, if, even if you n- never end up uh, f- fully exploring your homosexual side of your bisexual, just thinking of yourself that way is liberating, I feel. You know, as an example, you know, using just like the bisexual example or like, you know, sapiosexual. Come on, like who is not, you know, who doesn't get like aroused or excited by someone's like unique uh, intelligence? It's, it's, intelligence is what we call charisma, you know? So like, Many of us are, you know, sapiosexual, but just kind of like including that in our sense of ourselves, you know, expands you. So I feel in everything that we do that expands, you know, is positive. And by expansion, like it opens our heart. It makes us, you know, 
it opens it makes us people who accept and understand more you know more of, of other people so you know in a way it unites us right whereas if we uh, stay limit you know if we stay in one category you know stay in your little lane whatever then that constricts you and, and this constriction doesn't even let you like you know breathe deep and it certainly puts us in in positions of like you know defense right or judgment attack you know all the time which is just like not a happy healthy way to live you yeah. know life is short and <laughs> and it's beautiful and uh, you know well, I, I, I feel it. like you know we, yeah like why are we alive if not to just you know kind of like feel good and feeling good you know is a is a communal experience you know you feel good with and through other people you don't yeah. you know you don't feel good like alone yeah i mean yes i think community <clears throat> is what we need like we need other people in our lives and i also do think that it is or at least for myself being a scorpio being the person that i am there is times where i need alone you know like i need my alone to go in nature to go hiking to meditate to you know what what have you oh um, me too i need a lot of alone i need a <laughs> lot lot, a lot, lot. <laughs> which i also but, think it's a self-care thing well it's also you know like a creative person needs alone time like you need yeah. to be alone with your thoughts but that's what I, but what i mean is i don't mean like in time spent with others i yeah. mean our you know what feeds us is our being you know in a in a whole yes. you know yeah and what what's fulfilling let's say in your work is that you help people you know you work but you don't just work for the money you work because it gives you personal satisfaction when someone feels better yeah. uh, when you heal someone in any modality you know and i think that that's just the very basic definition of of humanity and that's like the the positive beautiful definition of humanity you know that we feel happy like in a together way that's what i mean like you know it's part of something i don't mean like i could be on my own you know like nelson mandela was in prison in isolation but what he was writing was for the whole like through the whole so it's not like how how we like spend our time or our day i'm i'm just saying like our you know in terms of our motivation yeah. yeah yeah i get it coming to the end i wanted you okay. to give a little bit of information about how people can stay in contact with you or how people can learn about your work you as an artist your books your podcast So kind of uh, wanting to know how people can stay in contact and with this uh, continuing to have this conversation. Mm, thank you. Yeah. So we are Speak Sex podcast on Instagram and Twitter and facebook.com speak sex podcast. Uh, you can find the podcast on every platform, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher. It's Speak Sex with Eve. and i'm eve you really see and the website is speaksexpodcast.com my books are written under my name you really see 
and uh, probably they're available on their website. I'm not right. sure. I have um, another website, Eurydice.net. So my name is E-U-R-Y-D-I-C-E, which is an ancient Greek name and Greek myth, and also my grandma's name. I wanted to show you like my art piece that's here. Yes. Um, so like that's very cool. typical of of what I do. And, you know, it's again, like, you know, women's art and, you know, you can see the stitch, right? So it's like in real time, stitch by stitch, it's very meditative and, it, you know, builds new consciousness and it gives us time to, you know, to be in ourselves. So I find it like, but these are all women, for example, and, you know, it, it has helped me very much in my in my life it's so cool yeah. and it's so Amazing. like it's huge and i know it's all by hand so yeah. well if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast you have to head over to youtube to watch the video version oh yeah it's cool to see her stitched canvas of women's shapes and faces mm. and it's beautiful with your permission, I will post a video of this on my uh, YouTube channel too. Yeah, yeah. So the Speak Sex podcast, yeah. Okay. Yay. So I was starting this tradition earlier in my podcast, and I wanted to continue it with having my guests leave some information, some uplifting or empowering information about the vulva. So like a story or a fact or whatever you want about the vulva? Mm. Well, I'm going to, I mean, I, I could say many, but I do want to speak about giving birth because I think that was the most fulfilling moment for me as, as, a, as a vulva. The feeling of uh, my, my child coming out was just such a wholeness and the moment my, you know, my water broke was definitely an orgasmic expression. And the whole process was, you know, as, as heightened and pleasurable and, and charged. It's like, uh, well, I, my labor was long, but like, you know, it's like a two-hour orgasm. And I don't say that in a, you know, I, I think that I, I, I've tried to say that in an empowering way. Yeah. Because, you know, we stupidly separate like birth from sex when they're like so connected. Yeah. And I'm I'm happy to, you know, to have given birth completely uh, sober, you know, in a jacuzzi with a midwife, nomads, you know, in the rain here in Miami Beach. <laughs> and, you know, I do recommend to your listeners, you know, if they can to stay out of the hospital because, you know, it's, it's not an illness. <laughs> it's, it's a wellness, you know, giving birth. And when you are super conscious, then your hormones and like the, you know, the spiritual and the biological and, you know, neurochemical combination of all the factors that go into birth is just such an amazing, amazing, pleasurable experience. So I think that that was like when my, you know, vulva was most, you know, magically charged, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
that actually reminds me of my mom having all of us, all five of us children at home without any meds, yeah. with the midwife. Yeah. And so, and I think, it, well, it was because she had, or her, her sister, my aunt, had such a bad experience when she went to the hospital. And so mm-hmm. I would say out there, you know, for anyone that is having a normal, healthy pregnancy, like doing it at home or doing it out of the hospital is definitely a way to go. If you yeah. have a complicated birth or you need to have yeah. a C-section, then... Well, you just different. make sure that your midwife is experienced and also has a, you know, a relationship with like a doctor and yeah. an emergency room. Yeah. My midwife always, you know, videotaped all the births, you know, for that reason. Yeah. Just, yeah. But she had given like 15,000 births uh, when I met her. So it's just, you know, I feel that like the doctors in the hospital, you know, they're too quick with the drugs and they and the anesthesia. And they're also way too quick with like booking appointments and, you know, C-sections because it's convenient for them and their scheduling, you know, birth is unpredictable yeah. and they just, you know, their time is money. Like they want to know when you're going to show up. And so, you know, staying away from that route is better for both of us. You know, like our child participates because, you know, they are like, pushing and doing the work they want to you know they want to see you (laughs) just as much as you want to see them and you know you have a full you know and clear like understanding and memory of of what this is that your body does that's you know that's so extraordinary so after like nine months of you know patiently like you know hosting this (laughs) like other body (laughs) you know like that's one of the that's that's one of the perks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And women yeah. have been doing it for thousands and thousands of years, oh, right? Like yeah. We're doing it even yeah. before hospitals were in place. Yeah. Yeah. This is a powerful yeah. thing. So thank yeah. you so much, Yuri, for, thank you for having me on this podcast. I love our talks. I love yes. the previous talk. I love this one. That's why I wanted to. Yeah, it's nice. Thank you. Yes, and we definitely, you know, once this pandemic has come to a point where we can all get back together, it would be nice to collaborate with you in person. Maybe you could be a part of the next Viva La Vulva exhibit or... I would love to. I would love to. All of your vulva art and, you know, like... Yeah, please think of me. Yes. Yes, definitely. That's that's what we'll do. Yes, I'll be there. All right. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to the Viva La Vulva podcast. Again, I am your host, Dr. Kara Quant. Uh, If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, subscribe, let your friends and family know about this source of empowerment for vulva owners and non-vulva owners. So thank you for listening and thank you for being on the podcast. Bye. Bye.